crime in me. I've diagnosed some people. I think it's been pretty accurate. Definitely done my fair share of psychiatry work. I've prescribed a few pills, you know. Crime in me. Disclaimer. 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 We are in no way responsible for the things that come out of our mouths. We are not experts, although we may claim to be, so don't take anything that we say too literally. We are not laughing at the crimes, we are laughing at each, each other. other. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome. God, <laughs> Let's try that again. One. Okay. Two, three. Welcome, Welcome to, <laughs> to another episode of Criminy. I don't know why we try it every time. I really don't. Okay. Should we, we just should one just person say stop. it? Yeah, I think we should one person say it. Okay, we should one person okay. say it. Say Go it again. It. Oh. <laughs> okay. Okay. Welcome to another episode of Criminy. We're your hosts. Angela and Matt. And Matt. <laughs> oh. <laughs> We're gonna split it up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll edit that. That's whatever. Look, when people listen to us, they're looking for professionalism. They're looking for practice. They're looking for um, research, research and intelligence, <laughs> intelligence, and they get it every time. Every time. Wham. Bam. Thank you, man. So we're back another week, episode twenty-five, to tell you some more horrendous shit. Yeah, and if your weeks haven't been rough enough with everything that's been happening, get ready for it to get a little bit rougher. <laughs> right? All right. I got yeah. my information from Wikipedia, Morbidology, CV, I think it's Cult Nation with a V for some reason. Cultvation? And, no, it's like C-V-L-T, like cult but with a V. Oh, <laughs> nation yeah okay. from <laughs> okay. that fancy rating oh yeah and um dark histories i'm going to tell you the story of the anthill kids ringing any bells kind of i know i've heard that before but i just can't <laughs> yes place exactly it. okay okay <laughs> well let me help you place it i don't know if i want to <laughs> so there's this guy who's named it's either pronounced rock or roche <gasps> I do know this. Oh, God. Why do you always pick the worst? <laughs> oh, my God. Why do you pick the worst stories ever? Anyway, Rock or Rosh Terrio. Yeah. He was born May 16th, 1947 in Seguene, Quebec, Quebec, Canada. How in detail are you going to go? Should I get a bucket to vomit in now? Happy or Halloween! <laughs> Oh, fuck. Okay. So, you know. I should not have eaten before this. Okay. It's French Canada, so there's a lot of French names, so bear with me. Okay. Oh, finally. Finally. It's your turn to butcher the French language. (laughs) (laughs) It's about damn time. Uh, Well, yep. Okay. So he was born to Hyacinth and Periette Terriot. And and he was raised in Thetford Mines, which is a city south central um, uh, in south central Quebec, Quebec, that was founded in 1876 after the discovery of large asbestos deposits. Ooh, fun! 
So obviously asbestos was heavily mined there and it was actually one of the largest deposits in the world. Damn. This has nothing to do with the story, but I just thought it was interesting. (laughs) No, for sure. Let's get that background. Yeah. So he grew up there. He was the second of seven children. Look, I told you people listen for the research. We need to know these things. Numbers. You got to say numbers. Lots of numbers. And names. I mean, I would hope there'd be names. (laughs) Yes. Well, you know. Yeah, okay. As we can tell by this story, well, not yet, but you will see, names are kind of (laughs) interchangeable. Oh, okay. Okay. So he was the second of seven children. His family was working class. They, but it said that they didn't really struggle, and he grew up with pretty much, you know, all he needed, and that life was relatively comfortable. Good for them. His parents were devoutly religious people and members of the Pilgrims of St. Michael, a religious organization that often takes the names Belle Blanc or <laughs> White Berets. Oh. A reference to the white beret hat that they wore as oh, their uniform. You were saying Beret Blanc? Or whatever. Yeah. Oh, okay. Do you not understand it because my French a accent bit was so good? Like you were hawking up a loogie, but okay. How dare you? <laughs> I'm insulted. I mean, I feel like that's how you have to sound when you're speaking French. You just is that don't insulting? like. Uh, yes. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I take it back. <laughs> I think you. It, it, everything is just pronounced differently. Okay. But anyway. Because, um, like, every language you use different parts of your throat or right. mouth to make the sounds. Yes. So I think it's just, yeah. The tongue goes in different places. To us, it feels more like, you know, very awkward. Yeah, very throat. Throaty. Uh, throat emphasized. Maybe. I don't know. It's also, like, in the mouth. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> okay, yeah. Who knows? Okay. But so essentially, this white beret church group were kind of a profit sharing cooperative so they would have they would go like door to door and you know try and collect money and oh like hand out pamphlets and shit profit like money not profit like messenger of god no but kind of a little of both though because they are kind of profit i mean yeah they're they're dipping their toes in both realms i would say okay okay um Despite being largely dismissed by economists and criticized for their anti-Semitic agenda. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh, for sure. They drew in followers by promoting their message via The Journal, which was a pamphlet that they delivered door to door by members of the church. And that worked? Apparently. Oh. It must have been a really good pamphlet. <laughs> High quality. His parents would often drag him around the city of Thetford Mines as they... Knocked on doors and, you know, wore their berets. That's like a dream come true for a kid. <laughs> yeah. You remember going door to door to like Although sell candy? I, would say, I will say I would have much rather been dragged around walking around door to door than sitting in church. Yeah, but remember it's walking door to door selling campfire candy and how stressful that is <laughs> and how many doors get slammed on your face even though you're a child? <laughs> okay. Just think about like with... With your parents I'm and a pamphlet. I'm just saying, it, it goes both ways. Children shouldn't accept candy from adults, and adults should not accept candy from children. <laughs> hey, Either that candy way, is good. <laughs> I would I mean, buy yes, campfire candy. <laughs> <laughs> I do miss that. Ooh, almond roca. Thin men's. Okay. Um, according to Thoreau, though, his father was abusive towards him, and by when I said Thoreau, I meant Terrio. <laughs> Sorry. 
Gendo's I was looking philosophy. at his actual name and not my uh-huh. pronunciation, my phonetic writing. Oh, okay. Terrio. Um, so he said his father, his father, his father abused him. His father at was one a point, bother. He said, I'm from a family in which I was mistreated and beaten worse than a dog from the age of two until 14 oh, when God. my father... When my father, having beaten me, threw me out of the house and told me never set foot in it again. When he was how old? 14. Oh, my God. Um, his father denies these claims. Okay. I mean, wouldn't and, you? And Well, that's what I said. Like, if you're an abuser, you're not going to be like, oh, yeah, I totally remember doing that. Mm-hmm. But also, like, uh, according to, like, the rest of his family and neighbors and stuff, they didn't, uh, no one ever saw him get beat. Unless the, they were lying about it. Who knows? other kids didn't say? No one said anything about it. Okay. As a child, Terrio was considered very intelligent, but he dropped out of school in seventh grade. Wait, wait. Back be- to the, the other kids didn't say anything about being abused ever? No. Okay. Not that I could find. Huh, okay. In my limited research. Right. Um, he began to teach himself the Old Testament of the Bible. Oh. Which is always a good idea. He sounds fun. (laughs) He became obsessed with the apocalypse Mm. and believed that the end of the world was near and would be brought on by war between good and evil. Mm -hmm. And he was obviously also into the Old Testament's ideals of male superiority and, you know. Well... If that really is what the Old Testament says. <laughs> well, that's what he took from it, okay. at least. <laughs> <laughs> On November 11th, 1967, t- at 20 years old, he married 17-year-old Francine Grenier. Mm-hmm. Grenier. A quiet, unassuming girl from the neighborhood, neighboring town. Mm-hmm. They moved to Montreal and spent the early days of their marriage in... Happy enough circumstances. Mm -hmm. Enough. (laughs) Francine gave birth to two sons, Mm. Roche-Sylvain in 1969 and Francois in 1971. Those are both kind of juniors. Yeah. Like Francine, Francois, and Roche-Roche. Roche-Roche. Yep, junior juniors. (laughs) uh, During that time, he worked as a chimney inspector. Okay. But in 1971, he developed stomach ulcers, and he eventually had a surgery which left him with what they call dumping syndrome. (laughs) All it said was that it involves stomach cramping, like really bad stomach cramping, but I'm like... It was dumping. Yeah, that sounds like a different you're thing. you're just pooping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, no. it's not just me. Well, he had tummy issues. That sucks. <laughs> and the doctor was like, here, have some medicine. And he was like, I'm not taking your medicine. And he self-medicated with alcohol. Oh, because when you have stomach problems, <laughs> alcohol is like the best thing to do. Look, it kills germs. Look, I'm not going to take your medication, your pain relieving <laughs> pills or whatever you have. No. Because alcohol. Well, also, I had surgery to get my stomach issues fixed and you kind of made them worse. So I'm not going to trust you. Ugh. And alcohol yeah. has it's, never uh, steered me wrong. <laughs> so. Right. <laughs> my old best friend. Yeah. Oh. So he was always in pain and yeah. thought he was dying and yes. often played up his victim role. 
Uh, and so during that time, he couldn't really work because he was in so much pain. So I don't want to be, uh, what's the word, like mean? Do you think... <laughs> Do you think that's actually uh-huh. accurate? Like, if he had lied about being abused as a child, was he lying about being Honestly, in pain all the time? Or I have no idea what to believe. Like any yeah. anything that comes out of his mouth right. to me is like, is it? Did it? Could have? I don't know. Okay. But I'm. I think that there was like he that he actually did have surgery. Right. So. ulcers right yeah right so at least there's that that's painful yeah so he did have some some kind of whatever anyway he and his family moved back to thetford mines and he started a small business speaking of small businesses (gasps) oh you should support uh small businesses like humblebee herbal and by supporting this small business, you can get 20% off on your first order with promo code CRIMENY20. That's C-R-I-M-E-N-Y 20. And they have all kinds of really good all-natural bath and body products. And the other really cool thing is, like the other day in the store, I saw this bottle and it said ocean safe or whatever, but it was a plastic bottle. And I was like, how is that ocean safe? <laughs> but at Humblebee Herbal, they only use like paper, glass, metal. Metal and very minimal plastic for like lids and things. So support businesses that aren't supporting plastic, right? Yeah. Humblebee Herbal. Support people and not corporations. <gasps> yeah, stop with the Amazon bullshit. But also they have really cute uh, pumpkin soap that's charcoal. So you don't have to skimp on good ingredients in order to have like a cute soap. It's charcoal soap. That's good true. for your skin. Mm, love it. Check it out. Humblebeeherbal.com. Crime 20. He got into woodworking and he sold sculptures and small household items like plates and mugs that's cool mm-hmm. i want to get into woodwork and during this time he would use business as an excuse to go to different towns and sell things when in reality he was drinking heavily and carrying out affairs while his oh. wife was at home caring for the kids oh yeah what a dick <laughs> but luckily his wife had the courage to peace the fuck out Ooh, good for and her she was like okay bye And um, his business, no surprise, ended up going bankrupt. And he bounced between sleeping in his car and sleeping at a woman's house named Giselle, which was one of the women he was having an affair with. Okay. Terrio. Terrio. (laughs) Converted from Catholicism to Seventh-day Adventist Church and began practicing the denomination's regular holistic beliefs which encouraged a healthy lifestyle free from unhealthy foods, alcohol, drugs, and tobacco. Okay, so he's seen the light. Right. He's like, we gotta clean up my act. He's like... This church is more to my liking. Alcohol may have saved my stomach, but it did not (laughs) save my business. So let's not (laughs) continue this. And he was like super into the church group. He would go to all the meetings and everything, Mm -hmm. and the... I don't know if they call it a priest or a pastor. Probably like a pastor. The main, the pastor that he worked with a lot, like really thought that he, you know, he was great. Like he could, he could talk to anyone into joining the church. And it's all that so practice he, he, let, he got when he was little, going door to door, sharing profits. Uh huh. So sharing profits and profit sharing. Um, he was even put in charge of a small group 
of like people that wanted to quit smoking. So he was in charge of like getting them to quit smoking. Nice. Smoking cessation. Mm -hmm. Good. His time with the church, however, was short lived and he was removed after attempting to gain leadership. (laughs) He was like trying to stage a coup with his like non smokers. Well, before he was kicked out, he managed to gain the trust of a group of people in the church who he convinced to quit their jobs and get out of school and follow him. Well, yeah. Wow. Uh, Who wouldn't go for that? Some of the people in this group were 21-year-old Solange Boilard, Mm -hmm. 19-year-old Chantel Lebrie, 18-year-old Francine Laflamme, 20-year-old Nicole Rowe. 18-year-old Marcy and 24-year-old Claude Aulet and 24-year-old Josie Pelletier and husband and wife Jacques Gugier and Mélise Glignier, 24 and 23 years respectively. So I'm not entirely sure based on your pronunciation. Yes, they are mostly women. Okay. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going <laughs> to Yep. Uh, okay. And very young. Everyone's very, very young. young. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. The group met up out on weekends, staying at Giselle's apartment, while Terio gave lengthy sermons about the imminent second coming of Christ. Fun. He convinced them to all drop out of college, like I said. Nice. Since who needs college when the end of the world is near? Why do you need education? Yeah, just got to prepare. That's right. During the summer of 1977, they went on an Adventist retreat so, on Lake Rousseau. Question. People who yep. do these, like, uh, doomsday cult situations, they have to, like, really believe that the world is ending themselves. Yeah. They, they really believe in themselves. I mean, I think it's also the... Um, what oftentimes comes with like bipolar or like you know the the sense of grandeur where you you have mm-hmm. this feeling of like I mean how how many people that have different mental illnesses namely bipolar that have experienced times in their life where they thought they were Jesus or they thought that they you know were some kind of second coming right it happens so they have it happens like, it's so he it's a, it's part of the mental illness because think of you know you're like all preparing you've convinced all these people to drop out of college they don't need anything and then it's like yeah. oh i must have got the date wrong <laughs> interesting let's get to that later <laughs> I just feel like it always happens. <laughs> okay, sorry. If you didn't, but sorry, listen, so... if you didn't know that's where this was headed, that's kind of on you. <laughs> well, you don't know what date he predicted. It could still be coming. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, like I mean, I said, it feels like it on... could be happening now. So, and, and, I mean, maybe he did get the date wrong. <laughs> so, they were on a retreat on Lake Rousseau in Ontario. And they met two more people there, Gabrielle Lavallee and Yolande Glenmebel. Yes. More girls. Oh. During, during his retreat, he spoke to God, who told him that he, he and his followers needed to move in together. <laughs> God was like, you guys are such a cute family. You should get a home. Yeah, enough of this, like, living apart business. Yeah, no, no weekend business. This is time to, like, get real. Yeah, get real, get ready. Shit's about so to go down. They all moved to Saint-Mélie. 
south of Quebec. How Quebec do they have Cal? money? Well, they rented a two-story house where they opened a healthy living clinic. Ah. Oh, that's cool. Where they sold organic food, nice. alternative medicine, and holistic literature. I'm into it. So a lot of the the literature and stuff was get, was basically Seventh Day Adventist um, literature. So they were getting that from the church because they're still, mm-hmm. even though they were like kicked out of the church, like don't come in the church. But I think they were still like able to kind of hand out, you know. Well, sure. I mean, they want more members, like exactly the Seventh. Day Adventists want to like pack that church, so <laughs> pack that church. If they're getting people for them. Why not? So you, you know, probably feeling nostalgic about his parents, he was like, "We need uniforms, guys." Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, made... I was gonna say this is sounding like uh-huh. all right, other than the doomsday stuff. Like this is sounding all right. I'm into the organic food. I'm into like the holistic healing. All that sounds good. Then you brought up uniforms, and I'm out. I'm like this one. I'm out quickly. I don't know. You might have been into the green ankle length tunic that the women had to wear. No. Or the beige tunics for the men. Are they also ankle well, length? It didn't specify that they had to be ankle length. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he wore a dark brown tunic. I don't love the tunic <laughs> look. <laughs> Who is sewing these tunics and do you get more than one? I'm assuming that... Some of the followers were something. I mean, I like clothes, so I'm going to have, I'm struggling with this, but go on. Well, uh, at least with a tunic, you know, there's no real measuring that has to happen. All the people, you just basically make a sack with like an armhole, you know. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. It's not really tailored. Yeah, I mean. So I guess, you know, if you have to make uniforms fast and they got (laughs) to fit everyone, you might as well just give them a tunic. You got room to grow. It's like, cool. (laughs) Okay. It's not like they were going to be doing much growing, but I'll get to that later. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. (laughs) So the clinic was actually doing pretty well, and they began attracting more followers. One man named Leo Mark Fauscher, he joined, and he quickly, he sold all his possessions and gave the money to the clinic. Wow. Yeah, because everyone, no one was allowed to really have any possessions. Well, except for your tunic. Well, your tunic, but, you know, <laughs> that actually, you know, he really owned the tunics. Oh. You were just kind of wearing You're them. borrowing his tunics? You're borrowing God's tunics. Oh, okay. So Giselle didn't like the attention that he, that Terrio was getting from the women, so she locked that shit down, and she proposed to him. Here's the thing. It didn't work the <laughs> first time he was married, because he was seeing you, Giselle, so... Is it yeah, really going to work out the cheating, second time? If he's cheating with you, uh-huh. he's going to cheat on you. Oh, uh-huh. Okay, but so, lock it down. Sure. But she was like, lock it down. And he was like, okay. And they got married in 1978. And then at one point, a man named Eau Claire joined. He had a sick wife named Geraldine mm-hmm. who was in the hospital being treated for le- leukemia. Ooh. Terrio didn't like what the doctors were doing Uh-oh. and told Eau Claire to bring him... Bring her to him. Because he is a doctor. He's basically, you know, He's talking like, to Here, God. I've got the best remedy for you. It worked for me. It's flawless. It's called alcohol. Tastes great. Makes you do wonderful things. Well, actually, he prescribed her grape juice and organic food. Oh. <laughs> so, uh-huh. not surprisingly, Did not she work. died. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> 
And to that, Terrio said, you know, when God wants people, it was he her takes time. them. That's right. It was Geraldine's time. That's right. Who is he to interfere with God's time? So during this time, the Seventh-day Adventist church were like, mm, we don't really like what's happening. <laughs> They even tried to, they contacted a lot of the parents of the followers to try and get them to, like, get their kids out. Ooh, that's not gonna work. He was like, Terrio was like, having the time of his life. And he, at one point, he was like, actually, you know what? It doesn't matter who's married in this group. I'm gonna marry people to each other. So he, like, decided who was gonna be husband and wife. Of course. With, like, the, you know, th- handful of men and all the women. <laughs> yes, that's logical so since the church since the church of the adventists whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> seventh day adventist church began pulling their support the clinic started to suffer because they no longer had the literature to sell and like different i, I don't know i guess you know the church being like don't go there well okay i didn't realize that they were so closely linked mm-hmm. yikes that is kind of sketchy okay yeah I mean, get out when the tunics are being passed around, but don't take my advice. I don't know. I think the churches love a uniform. They do love a uniform. They do. So maybe they were like, good, good. We don't need these like heathen clothes that are causing temptation. I mean, I will say this. If they're made of natural fibers, it's probably better for the earth, too. So it's like a win-win kind of a thing. You're not doing that fast fashion thing with the sweatshops and the polyester that's clogging up the ocean. So... And you assume assume that the people are now celibate because who thinks a tunic is hot? <laughs> so, so best birth control. <laughs> so, yeah, great birth control. <laughs> uh, a beige tunic. That's my uh, uh, fetish. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very specific fetish. So he abandoned the clinic and took the group with him. He told them that the world was going to end on February 17th, 1979. He's like, it's cool, man. It's cool because we don't yeah. even need this clinic anyway. Yeah. Shit's about to happen. He's like, you know what? There's going to be storms with boulder-sized hail Yikes. and earthquakes and lightning storms. But it's all good because we're God's chosen people. That's and right. I will lead you to safety. Okay. Okay, so they were like, we're in. Take us with you, O leader. Yes. And he did. He took them out to the wilderness where they found a small hill and a lake. And they constructed a tent town to begin with. Uh-huh. And then for the next while, they were constructing a large communal cabin. And he named this place Eternal Mountain. So when things like this happen, I just feel like if they can build their own house, I could build my own house too, <laughs> right? Well, you do have a large group of people and he was having them work 17-hour days oh, building a fuck. cabin and digging a well. So yeah, I'm sure you you put in the time, you can have a cabin too. <laughs> fuck, 17 hours a day? How do you even stay yeah. up that long? And during that time, he was also rationing their food. Oh, good well they don't have money at this point right they're like broke but they were they learned not to complain because there would be stricter rules imposed if they complained he's like look god doesn't like a fatty so (laughs) or a lazy so let's just say keep that tunic loose (laughs) fuck so you know what happens when people don't sleep or eat well uh they go crazy 
and become easily manipulated yes. and brainwashed, right? Yes. I, like, feel like I'm losing my mind if I stay up past, like, 12 hours in a day. <laughs> <laughs> You're never going to get your cabin built at that God rate. God damn it. <laughs> I probably eat too much, too. Shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That tunic is starting to cling. Uh, I would not try and dig my own well. I will tell you that much. (laughs) Well, then you're just going to die of dehydration. Yeah, probably. (laughs) A few of the members couldn't take it anymore and they kind of bailed. I mean, seriously. (laughs) But, you know, and at this time, he was like, hmm, I think I don't feel much like a Roche Terrier. No. I feel like a Moses. <gasps> hey. <laughs> so he was like, everyone call me Moses. But they also, they called him Pappy and they Ew. called uh, Giselle Mammy. I hate it. Yep. <laughs> Love it. I hate okay. it so much. And then he also changed everyone else's names to biblical ones. Fun. Also, how far into this thing are we? Maybe like a year. He's moving fast in this crazy shit. <laughs> Well, the apocalypse is coming. Okay. So he's got to move fast. Right. And so he uh, forbade members from contacting their family. Uh-huh. Which is, you know. Is he doing this all uh, hopped up on organic food and that's it? What's happening? Well, funny you should say that because he was. But then when he was like, y'all shouldn't be contacting you. Or, sorry. You all should not be contacting your families. Yeah. And then... He was like, also, I'm going to secretly be drinking. Uh, (laughs) I just feel like if you have to start drinking again, things aren't going well. (laughs) Well, you know, it's, he's, I don't know. It's a lot of pressure. It's, it's the group's fault, really. They're not, you know, taking it seriously, I think. Well, no, I mean, they're only working 17 hours a day, so. <laughs> I mean, we've got 24 hours in a day. 17 hours just to work? What are, yeah, what I are feel you, like they're, like, like wasting lazy? a lot of time. Right. Wasting time. So the rules of the group became stricter by the day. More, more strict? Stricter. Stricter. More, stricter by the day. Yeah. It got so bad that members were not allowed to speak to each other. No. Unless Moses was present. No. Even he the married dissolved. ones? Well, God, you were just like one step ahead of me <gasps> oh, all the way God. because he dissolved all the marriages in the group okay. except his own. Oh. And then he married all the women. Oh, God. Oh, God. He's like, on second thought, I chose the wrong partners for everyone. Let's pretend that never happened. We're just going to like dissolve that all. And now everyone marries me. Yeah. Dude, yep, this guy is like Moses. what? So there was one woman. Wait, that how didn't does Giselle feel about this though? I mean, at this Mammy point, I don't think she's got happy. much to say. Uh oh. So now he had nine wives. Uh huh. One of the women fled, but he was able to capture her, oh, and no. he choked her out. <gasps> demanded she stayed, which she did. I just feel like if someone wants to leave, like let them leave. Well, if a person wanted to leave, Moses or Terrio would become enraged. He would hit them with belts or hammers. What the he fuck? He would suspend them from the ceiling. He would pluck every hair <gasps> on their body individually. Ugh. Or he would just go and take a dump on them. Dumping illness. With his dumping. <laughs> 
What the fuck? Super sweet guy. Very charming. <laughs> I just... Uh... So during this time, Jonestown happened. So authorities were like, mm, we better keep an eye on this guy up yeah. here. Mr. Moses. But being the charming guy that he was, he went to the police and was like, give me a psychological examination. What? And they did. What? And he charmed he, he charmed the pants off of them. I just don't understand how this happens. Like when someone is so clearly losing their grip on reality, but then they can also still like pass as if they have a grip on reality. Like this is mind blowing. Yeah. A psychological examination. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's fine. Even though he's like out of his goddamn mind. Yep. How? He told them that he told them that their the group was a democracy and there was no one leader. Except for he I'm the only they, one that's allowed to talk to you. He said that they all lived in peace and without prim- promiscuity. Uh, okay, that's what they're worried about. The police the are like, police thank were God. Like, Good on you. <laughs> we can tell about the promiscuity because of the tunics. Didn't need to say it, but uh, you may carry on, go back to your group. And so he did. How did he do it? How did he do it? Narcissist with uh, thoughts of grandeur. Thoughts of grandeur. Yeah, like when you're in that mindset, I think you just, you believe everything you're saying. That's just So much so that everyone else does. Wow. So, of course, the group needs money, and Moses is like, you know what? I'm going to sell one of my my wives to the local grocer for some sex. What? He's a pimp now? (laughs) Fuck. He just, Um, okay. And then he continued to preach to his group hours on hours on hours on end. Are they working for hours and hours and hours on end? <laughs> yep. And then when they're not working, he's preaching to them. Oh, my God. And if anyone fell asleep or was deemed to be disrespectful, they would get beaten with a club or punched <sighs> in the torso, a punishment that he dished out to uh, to pregnant Maryse, oh, breaking no. two of her ribs when she ate more than her share of pancake rations one breakfast time. When she's pregnant? Yeah, exactly. So, like, obviously she needs more of a share. She's hungry. Pancake ration? Uh-huh. Ugh. He would make them stand outside naked, no matter the weather, if he felt they needed to be punished. Is they he also s- not sleeping? Well, he doesn't have to do any of the work or anything. So he's right, just, but like, I'm just wondering. And probably, he's probably like drinking and napping, doing stuff throughout the day, and okay. then like beating them during his sermon time. It's just like so. I mean, I understand the psychology behind it all. At the same time, it's like, how do these people. I mean, I understand, but like, you'd think there are more than them than there are of him, you know? Like, right. But I understand well, that they're just like broken down and they're exhausted and they have, they're like starving and. Here's an example of how brain how brainwashed they were. Um, yeah. There's a letter that one of them wrote to Moses, and it says, Hello, Pappy. I'm writing about what you said on the subject of nutrition. It is very true that I nibble a damnable fault which I will never again repeat. The thought of ingesting such a large quantity of food in so little time discourages me. Even if I work outside the entire day without eating, I ask you to forgive me. If it is stealing, I did not realize it. It is this fault which causes my plumpness. I do not want to be a fat and plump servant that is too ugly next to the, next to the man that you are. 
I don't know what to think about everything and the meaning of my actions. I only know that I will not repeat them, and I do not and I don't speak lightly. I wish to be a true servant to you, my master, alert, vigorous, with a clear and lively spirit, and well balanced to serve you every moment of my life. I have a way to go. Thank you, Pappy. I love you. For nibbling? Yep, for eating. I think that was the one that got punched for eating more than her portion. What the fuck? Is this dude, like, in super good shape or something? Like, what the hell? (laughs) I don't think so. Yeah, not if you're drinking all the time. No offense. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. No, and he's not. He's not doing any of the manual labor. I can guarantee that. No. I told you, though, God doesn't like a fatty. God does not like a fatty. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> Look, one of the, the platforms. Gate, here's the thing. The gate to heaven is real small. so It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a wealthy man to get into the gates of heaven or something like that. Oh, okay. I was I was imagining the fat, the wealthy guy Damn. going through a needle. Like, <laughs> Never oh, mind. I shit. take it back. But heed that, rich people. You're not getting into heed fucking it. heaven. <laughs> <laughs> not, without, not without your tunic. Did you read that story about the person who called the police to report uh, a homeless person sleeping in the park and it turned out to be a statue of Jesus? (laughs) No. (laughs) Man. Yeah. Should have saved that for a crime and he's sakes. Aww. Aww. Anyway, as you previously foreshadowed, February of 1979 came. And the world was still there. What? But he was able to explain to his followers that the world didn't end because of the differences between the Israelite calendar and the Roman Catholic calendar. Right. And that God's time is different than humans' concept of time. For sure. So it was just a little bit of a mix-up. The math was a stitch off. And they were like, oh, totally. That makes so much sense. Yes. During this time, he had fathered 26 children. Oh, my God. By his many wives. Yes, that's what we need to continue on that gene pool. Yeah. Well, one day, one of his followers, Maurice. The one that was pregnant? Earlier. Yeah. Yes. She wanted to leave. At oh, wait. That, she was pregnant with his baby and he punched her in the fucking ribs for eating yeah. an extra pancake nibble? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So she was like, I think I'm going to leave. And then Moses was like, nope. And he demanded that one of the other followers chop off one of her toes with an axe. (gasps) And it happened. (gasps) Yep. Oh, my God. At one point, some parents of one of the followers obtained a court order to remove her from his group. But when the police came to get her, Moses denied them access and told them to leave, which they did. How? How? A few days later, an article was published in the newspaper that included an interview by a former member that had escaped saying, you know, fucked up shit. Yeah. So 10 police helicoptered in, showed up to where Moses was, and they arrested him for obstruction of justice. Good. For sending the police away or whatever. Right. And they ordered him to take another psych evaluation. Yeah, because clearly the first one went so well. And he fucking passed yeah, it with flying colors. Yeah, of course he did, colors. somehow. What? He even managed to convince the testers that he had saved his followers from a life of depravity and drugs. 
and then got them to join. <laughs> well, the director <gasps> of the hospital was even calling him Moses. What and the fuck? was angry at the poor treatment that Moses had received by prejudiced society. Okay, that's not a good psychiatrist <laughs> or whatever. He was deemed fit to stand trial for the obstruction of justice. And, okay, yeah. But he I was, agree with that. He was sentenced to one year with a suspended sentence. I don't get that. I don't get the suspended sentences. It's like, then it's not a thing. That's not. Uh-huh. Like, what is that? Well, the media began portraying him as a victim of prejudgment. <gasps> what? How? I don't know. So he started using the us versus them mentality to strengthen his group connection even further. Did they not interview the people who are living there? And they're like, oh, what happened to your toe? No, no. They didn't talk to anyone that lived there. They talked you to You know, him. you look a little malnourished. <laughs> Why are you covered in bruises and missing all the hair on your body? Like, what is happening? Nope, they didn't. So he's back okay. home. Um, yeah, of course. Now, three of the kids in the group were not fathered by Moses. So, you know, he did not Uh-oh. like them. Uh-huh. One day he decided. Oh, I forgot. Uh, there are children there. there like are you need to save more these children. children. There are more children than adults there right now. Oh God. Okay. One day he decided that one of these little kids, I think he was a two-year-old, needed to be circumcised. And yep, no. he was gonna do no. it himself. No, no. You, no. Using a blade and ninety-four percent ethanol solution for sterilization. No. He also administered the ethanol solution orally to the infant as anesthetic. Uh-huh. As can be expected, the child died. <gasps> and Moses was like, oh, we need to cremate him so the animals don't dig up his body. Oh, oops, it was just his time to go. <laughs> you know, God when God wants him. you. What the fuck? He also decided to blame one of the m- members of the group for the boy's death, saying that the guy, the guy, the guy named Guy, Guy yeah. Veer, had beaten the boy to death. So he was like, we should have a mock what? trial and put Wait, Guy. Ti- no, time out. What? <laughs> Wait, how? Weren't they all there? Didn't they see what happened? No, I think it was just, it was just Guy and Moses in the room. Was it his kid? Might have been. What the fuck? Yep. And he was like, you guys, we need to do something about Guy. He killed this kid. And he was like, you know, you guys should... I'm speechless. So I guess the, the mother of the child got to be the judge in this trial. Yeah. And the... But the members deemed him not guilty. They didn't have Good. enough evidence. Yeah. But Moses was like, well, you guys, don't you think we should at least castrate Guy? Because, like, I mean, come on. And they were what? like, well, I don't, we don't really think that we should castrate Guy. But Moses made Guy sign a consent form, and then he castrated him <gasps> at the kitchen table with whatever knife he found in the kitchen. Oh, and some alcohol? And a little what alcohol. What the fuck? <laughs> what? Is happening. Luckily, a few days later, Guy was able to flee and tell authorities about what happened to the little boy. But he was too bad he couldn't flee before he was castrated. He was too embarrassed about the castration, so he said that he had been kicked 
by a horse. Uh, other than, yeah, well, he, because oh, he signed a consent form. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? <sighs> well, his testimony was enough for the police to raid the compound. Good. During the trial, the coroner found the group to be criminally responsible and verdicts were passed. Roche, Moses, Terriel. <laughs> oh, you're going to put Moses. Okay. <laughs> Jacques, Maurice, Gabriel, and Guy were charged with criminal negligence causing bodily harm, while Claude was charged with obstruction of justice. Um, Jacques, Jacques, Maurice, Claude, and Solange were further charged with neglect towards their children, and Whoa. Roche... And Gabrielle were charged with bodily harm with intent to mutilate for their work on on Guy Veer's castration. Mm. All of the accused pleaded not guilty and all Mm -hmm. were unsuccessful in their defense. I'm... The groups of children were distributed into foster homes throughout Canada. Okay. And on September 29th, 1982, their sentencing was passed. Jacques, Melis, Claude, Solange, and Vier were all released on the condition they were not to return to Eternal Mountain. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> Roche and Gabrielle, however, were denied bail, classed Good. as a danger to society, Yeah. and he was sentenced to two years prison with three years probation during... Two years prison? Yep. During his uh, prison sentence, the group moved. He murdered a child. Mm-hmm. And castrated a and, man. And castrated a man and then, like, beat the shit out of people. Cut someone's toe off. Yeah, okay. Anyway. What? The group kind of stuck together and they, they moved to Quebec. They rented four apartments, allowing them to be close to their leader. So it was, like, near the, near the prison. The police burned down Eternal Mountain. Hmm. So I guess it wasn't very eternal, <laughs> was it? <laughs> Predict that. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, Terrio was released from prison on in February of 84, and he was greeted with open arms by his devout followers. You'd think in that time, like, they had a couple of years to not be abused. You would uh, hope that they would, like... He has broken them like down it. so much that they... He is their world. So they suggested that they collectively rent a house in Quebecois, but mm-hmm. Terrio had other ideas. Since the last cabin adventure had gone so well, he was like, we should do that again, but somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So on April 15th of 84, he and the gang set out for Somerville Township in the English-speaking area of Burnt River in Victoria County. Roche, of course, being the only English speaker of the group, (gasps) cemented their isolation even more. Manipulative! By May, they began constructing a new cabin. They built a cabin, a kitchen, a bakery, a maple sugar shack, a smokehouse, a root cellar, and a stone sanctuary for worship. Wow. He designed and built a sawmill from old parts, old machine parts, and a horse-drawn water mill. That's amazing. And then he established a hierarchy amongst the wives. 
Oh, oh, good. That's what was missing. And his favorite, the, his, the wife hierarchy. His favorite wife, Melise, who he liked to beat and chop up. Uh-huh. Since she was never really the favorite, uh, and I guess it was said that she she was only really there because her husband was still there, and oh, she wanted to God. stay for him, and they had two kids together. Um, and but all the kids are gone. Right, but. When they break up your, like, compound and take your kids away, you'd think you'd kind of be like, uh, maybe let's try and, like, straighten out and get our kids back? You would think, but if you really think that you're doing the right, I don't know. Brainwashing is a real... When your kids are taken away, you're not doing the right thing. But brainwashing is a real crazy thing. I, I get that. I do get that. I would just hope that the bonds between, like, parent and child would maybe be... A little stronger. Mm. I don't know. You would it's hope just so, awful. but not. I just want her to not be there. <laughs> yeah. So he oh. even forbade. Uh, he forbade her and her husband from sleeping with each other, sleeping near even near each other. He cast her out okay. to a separate hut, and he en- okay. encouraged Jacques, her husband, to beat her. And convinced the group that a birthmark she had resembled the devil. <laughs> okay. During this, then she shouldn't be there. Then let her go. <laughs> During this time, the group took to shoplifting to help them get by. They uh-huh. were even sewing pockets on the inside of their tunics <laughs> to hide uh-huh. their. <laughs> See, that's the other reason to have a tunic. All the space for the inside pocket. So much space. You just like slip your arm in real quick yeah. with the thing and stick it in one of the pockets. Exactly. Mm. But at one point they got caught and they were banned from shopping in the town. <laughs> They're banned from the whole town. So they began selling fruit and pastries cooked in their bakery in a pop-up shop by the roadside. Yeah, they have a bakery. And, you know, it's not like... Rochtelio Moses was cured of his dickish behavior because he made the women nude wrestle and forced the men, the men to stand in the center of a circle of women while they punched and kicked them. Fun. Yeah, that's great. What? He was punching and whipping his followers and still... Why are they all just, like, beating the shit out of each other? Still hitting him with hammers and urinating on them. And often after he would beat someone he would start crying and beg god to stop using him as a tool to implement the lord's justice (laughs) oh it's just god's not me it's not me he's a victim too yeah he really is one of the the one of the followers wrote to him good day moses my master i would have liked to have talked to you yesterday evening but i think it is preferable to write things down rather than saying them for fear of talking too much I'm going to talk to you about the last fit of anger that your master exercised through you. I really believe that what you do, Uh, what you did doesn't come from you, but from someone much higher. For my mm. part, I really believe that you were possessed by a very powerful spirit. That what I say in what that that's what I said saw. Sorry. That's what I saw in what you did. The throwing of the knife, the rifle (gasps) shot. The harm done to Mammy. My eyes saw things that went beyond them. My body is very afraid of all these things. 
I understand uh, it well, it very well because of the law of death in which it exists. But within myself, I am well. I am very well and very happy to belong to a real master who himself ooh. belongs to the only real master of life. Love, Rachel. What the fuck, Rachel? <laughs> what? God. That's how brainwashed they are. They're like, oh, that's awful. we know that you would never hurt us. Oh, my God. On the morning. The yeah. knife throwing and the gunshot. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> yep. I saw horrible things, but I know it's not, it's not you, you doing it. It's, uh, it's your master. You saw him doing it. <laughs> but he was just using what your body as a vessel to implement okay, his Okay, well, punishment. if that's how... Listen, if that's how the god you believe in behaves, maybe pick a different one. I'm, I'm just going to say. I agree, I, yeah. yeah. Sounds miserable. Yeah, yeah, it sounds awful. <laughs> On the morning of January 26th, 85, Gabrielle left her five-month-old infant outside in negative 10-degree <gasps> temperatures, lying in a wheelbarrow before he promptly froze to death. Uh, yeah, What? Roche had previously stated how much he had hated the child, and it had been <gasps> marked by the devil. How are you going to hate a five-month-old? Like, what? Somehow, see, okay, you would assume that he would just, like, cremate the baby and be like, nothing happened here. But somehow <laughs> the county coroner took a look and was like, oh, this kid totally just died from SIDS. <laughs> Okay. But then the So lo yep. they're like they're like documenting these babies cuz I'm doubting they're going to the hospital to have them, are they? No. They're not. Oh. Okay. Ugh. He doesn't believe in hospitals. Okay. Mhm. Mm so, I'm not sure exactly how this death got reported, but the ch right. the Children's Aid Society took note and began watching the compound closely. Yeah, cuz they're starting to like bring more children into it. Yep, and Again. in October of 85, Maurice, who, you know, was the beaten, yes. whole, horribly beaten, toeless woman, yeah. she was like, was just nah. there for her husband. She's like, all right, I want to leave. Good. And since she was the only woman who was not actually his wife, because he didn't really like her, and so I don't think he included her in the union of all of them. Um, uh -huh. he was like, I mean, blessing. Okay, but... you can leave, but you have to leave your eldest daughter with me because I'm going to marry <gasps> her. Oh, no. She agreed and left. I mean, she has to leave. Yeah, she, she has to leave. She had an infant child at this time. And then her, I don't know how old the older one was. Couldn't have been more than like a couple years old. I don't know. But she took the infant with her and left her husband and eldest daughter behind. Oh. Once she got to town, she immediately hired a lawyer Good. to try and get her other daughter back. Good. And she testified to the awful conditions that they were living in on the commune and the Children's Aid Think Society. Think of how crazy you would feel, like... When he can just go and convince anyone that everything's, like, all good. Yeah. And you're like, this dude is, like, abusing us all. And they're like, no. And is, like, murdering children and babies. And they're just like, oh, he seems fine, totally though. Cool. Moses is totally you great. And Mosey. you're like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> so once again, the Children's Aid Society stepped in and took all the children. 
How many children this them time? through foster homes. I think at this time oh there were like God. eight or nine. Now that when the, so now the children are outside and a lot of them spoke up of their horrific violence and of the horrific violence and abuse that mm-hmm. Terrio Moses caused, including <laughs> depriving them of sleep, food, and education. And yeah. they told him that they told them that he would hold blood sacrifices in front of them, killing a goat and smearing himself in its blood. And there was, of course, sexual abuse, which he claimed to be in the aid of sexual instruction. Oh, God. These poor, poor children. Roche Moses Terrio would also occasionally nail a kid to a tree and force the other children to throw rocks <gasps> at him. Oh my god. I just feel like when children are involved, like how are you not seeing, you know, kids are innocent. How are you not seeing like how fucked up that behavior is? <sighs> As an adult. I I just I don't know. I the brain is a very mushy thing. Mm. So the courts ordered an independent assessment be made on the Ant Hill kids, and when Dr. Real Honil and Dr. Martin Mijikovich visited the group, Moses greeted them with his most charming smile. Mm. When they handed over their 300-page report, Roche accused the government of persecution against the French-speaking population and suggested the children were to be returned immediately. Uh, fuck no. (laughs) Fortunately, the court saw through all this and rejected the report, and on October 26th, 87, ruled Roche Theriot Moses as a manipulative despot. Despot. Mm -hmm. His violence was far from over. What? Yep. Yep, they were like, this guy's no good, we gotta take the kids, alright, but we gotta, like, you know, make our case and all that shit, so during this time, he broke Jacques' rib with an axe, (gasps) burnt Nicole's stomach and Josie's back with a blowtorch. What the fuck? He beat a three-month pregnant Nicole, causing her to miscarry, and shot her in the shoulder with a... 303 caliber rifle, whatever that means. Yeah. He broke Giselle's ribs with a pair of steel toed boots, <gasps> sliced Claude's arm open with shards of glass. So he's just like, I'm going to get in trouble. I might as well go full force with this thing. I don't know. He pulled 11 of his teeth with a pair of pliers and. Not his teeth, the other dude's. The dude teeth. with the shard, the glass shard, <gasps> yep. Um. And he had one of his wives break Claude's leg with a sledgehammer. What the fuck? He eventually ordered Claude to wrap a rubber band around his testicles, and when this caused obvious side effects, he castrated him. What is happening? Cauterizing the wound with a piece of hot iron. What is happening? At one point, he even took a vote for stoning Claude to death. However, the vote failed. And he was like, that sucks. That was unexpected. So, oh, oh, I'm not done. Oh, I'm not what? done. No. Okay, so they, why couldn't they just, like, arrest him and hold him while they're doing 
the research or the investigation or whatever. In the meantime, he's like murdering everyone and torturing them. Oh, and he's shit. just maiming them. He's not murdering them. He yet. is maiming them. That's exactly what he's doing. <laughs> what the fuck? You're right. What? For life. At one point, he tossed a hunting knife into Giselle's leg. Fun. Causing a deep Fun. gash in her thigh. And when it clotted, he filled the wound with olive oil, salt, and spruce gum to keep away infection. <gasps> Uh, he even had his followers prove their loyalty by breaking their own legs with sledgehammers. Okay, they already <sighs> proved their loyalty when they didn't abandon you when you were in jail for two years. In addition... Now they're all <laughs> not going to be able to move? What the fuck? In addition, he ordered his followers to sit on lit stoves, shoot each other in the shoulder, smear feces on one another, and cut off each other's toes. Oh my god. He also took to How does this even happen? I don't I don't know. That's why it's so insane. So I had to read it. He took to sexually abusing his followers and forcing them to eat their own feces. No. In the fall of eighty eight, Solange fell ill. Earlier in the day she had complained about a sore stomach, so Roche Moses Terrio diagnosed her with some kind of kidney ailment and diagnosed immediate surgery. That he's going to perform? So he cleared off the bakery table, made her strip naked. What is wrong with him? He then gave her a few swift punches to the stomach. Uh, For what? (laughs) Then he shoved a plastic tube up her rectum and gave her (gasps) an enema of molasses, oil, and water. He then... Cut open her stomach, (gasps) pulled out a section of her intestines with his bare hands, ripped a piece of intestines out, was like, (gasps) good enough, stuffed everything back in, and then ordered Gabrielle to stitch the wound. And he was like, she's cured. Okay, I don't think that's how that works at all. What? Dude. At one point during that, he shoved a tube down her throat and made one of the women blow air into it. Was that like the oxygen? I don't know what that was. What? So naturally. I don't understand why he's like taking it on upon himself to perform surgery. He's God. But. Like this dude is so fucked up in the head. (laughs) Oh my god. Yep. Um so by morning she was Solange was dead. Uh yeah. From leaking of her digestive fluids into her abdom- abdominal cavity. Yeah. Then he was like, You guys, I bet I could resurrect her. So <sighs> they he was like, you need to remove her uterus and saw open a hole in her head. So they did. And then he was like, okay, this is how I'm going to bring her back to life. And uh-huh. he masturbated and ejaculated into her head hole. Uh-huh. But as you might not have guessed, she did not come back to life. Oh, that didn't work? It did not work. Shocking. So he was like, all right, you guys should just go bury her. But before you bury her, before you bury her, I'm going to take one of her ribs and he wrapped it in leather and carried it with him always. That is what? Look. (laughs) 
In November of 88, another member of the commune, Gabrielle Lavallee, complained that she had a toothache. So he responded no, by... No, you don't complain <laughs> about anything. No. Yeah, well, he ripped out a few of her teeth with pliers. And then later... Trying that, to find the right one. Yeah, and then later for that night, for shits and giggles, I guess, he chased her around with a knife and cut a tendon on one of her hands. Uh... She had also endured blow torches held to her genitals <gasps> and a hypodermic needle breaking uh-uh. off in uh-uh. her spine. Uh-uh. <clears throat> then, July of 89, she tried to escape, but she couldn't live without the cult and he talked her to coming back what yep and he was like you know tore out your teeth and could have possibly paralyzed you it's like no you you know you need us so you should come back and as punishment i'm going to cut off one of your fingers you already, like, ruined her hand. So we cut off one of her fingers, but then that wasn't enough. So he nailed her hand to the table, and then, <gasps> with a hunting knife, he just hacked off her arm. Oh! <laughs> Your face. <laughs> I uh, I'm feeling ill. This is so horrible. It took him amputating parts of her breasts and smashing her head <gasps> in with an axe for her to actually flee and contact authorities. So the arm wasn't enough. No. What the fuck? What hold does he have over these people? Like, what? How? How? They're brainwashed. How? So Ow. on August 16th, she escaped and she hitchhiked to a hospital in Toronto. God, I bet she looked like a mess. <laughs> Could you imagine being the person no. that picked her up? She would be terrifying. She's chopped up, like something that comes out of like a cornfield in a Just horror like film. Just like missing hunks of her body. Yep. Like and what? And teeth and bashed <sighs> in the head. Yep. Ooh. The, you know, more disturbing information of the commune is coming out. No. So they finally were able to arrest him. Mm-hmm. And he pleaded guilty to three counts of aggravated assault and one count of, uh, of unlawfully causing bodily harm. So he received 12 years in prison. Not enough. However, another member of the cult then led authorities to the body of Solange. Good. Yeah. And he subsequently pleaded guilty to second degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison without Good. the possibility of parole. Uh, without the possibility of parole until 2000. He's well, does Canada do, do that thing where, like, you don't really go in for life? Probably. I think so. No. Um, I just feel like some people just, like, need to be isolated from society forever. Yes, definitely. Because clearly they're not, it's not safe to have them out. There should definitely be two types of prison. One that reforms you and sends you back to society and one that just yeah, keeps you away people from go, people. Yeah. But yeah. But the highly deranged like this. Oh my god. Um so he served his sentence and was denied early parole on several occasions. 
Oh, thank God. During that time, he took to writing poems and making... Why do they always write poems? (laughs) I wish I had a poem, but I don't. And he also... It's probably better that you don't. He also made artwork, which he sold online. No. Why is he allowed to make money? I have no idea. Um, And... What the fuck, Canada? Believe it or not, during his incarceration, he was still visited by three of his wives. (sighs) Who? None of the ones that I really talked about. So (laughs) none of the ones that were maimed like the others. Mm. Um, However, in 2011, Roche Moses Terrio's cellmate walked up to a guard station, handed them a knife and said, that piece of shit is down on the range. Here's the knife. I've (gasps) sliced him up. Oh, Terrio was 63 years old and he died. And, you know, unfortunately, he didn't get to see his vision of the apocalypse and him being a prophet. Don't look at me like that. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the story of the anthill kids. That has got to be one of the most fucked up stories ever. It's pretty horrific. I thought it was appropriate for Halloween. (laughs) Yeah, that's terrifying. Do you know what happened to the survivors? Um, I tried to, well, I tried without much effort. I put in, like, where are they now? And then, like, I couldn't really find much information. But it looked like there was an interview with one of them on YouTube that I didn't watch. So it looks like (laughs) some of them are talking. I'd be interested to see where the the children ended up and, like, what they're doing. They're probably, like, protected. Oh, I'm sure. But, like, scarred for life. Yes. Growing up oh my with God, that as yes. your norm. Uh, so when all the adults are like, "Oh, it's this is fine. This is just the way it is." Mm-hmm. So, toss salad, scrambled egg. The toss salad and the scrambled egg. The toss salad, a scrambled egg. The toss salad. The toss salad. And the scrambled egg. A scrambled egg. So a tossed salad is someone who clearly knows right from wrong and chooses to do wrong anyway. Right. So the tossed salad has more components. The person is able to compartmentalize. And a scrambled egg is someone who can't tell right from wrong and they're just completely scrambled. Just one component, one track mind. They're all kinds of mixed up. There's no focus. They're disorganized. Scrambled. They were all fucking scrambled. You don't think that he had any kind of salad? I just don't even know how you could be that horrible of a human being and like... Not... Not be like fucked up in the head. I don't know. I mean, I definitely think that he was... He did have some sort of mental illness that was producing these... Something was going on. And and able to just talk his way out of things. Like the narcissism and the ability to lie to everyone about everything but then they continually follow you no matter how many times right, you're in prison right so that kind of like reinforces your own delusion yeah. right by being like oh clearly i am the chosen one if i can like the more i hurt these people they're still sticking around they believe in me like i've got to have something and i'm just special. dishing out god's punishments it's not me yeah. i'm just his vessel or oh, his conduit i mean but also, he had to have been a little uh, bit organized, being able to, like, 
organize a whole group of people and building all these things and, you know, I just opening stores and selling stuff. Like he had some kind yeah. of wherewithal of like he was still part of this world, you know. I mean, maybe. I just like I'm so I just I'm, I can't even I'm going fifty fifty. Maybe. I just like can't even. He's <laughs> how do people like this exist, you know? I have like no idea. That shouldn't be allowed. It should not be allowed. <laughs> Who's in charge here? <laughs> uh-uh. Wanna, yeah, that was... You want to tell me a story? <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you a story now. Let me find my story. Okay. Okay. So I got my information from the Sandusky Registrar... Register, sorry, <laughs> Sandusky <laughs> Register, uh, medium.com, medium, <laughs> ToledoBlade.com, and then PortClintonNewsHerald.com. Mm, okay. So, Devin Griffin returned home to 7052 North Ohio 2. Which I think is like Route 2 or something. Mm. On October 31st, <gasps> Halloween, Halloween, 2010, after singing in his Sunday morning church service. Okay. So this is a Halloween story in that this part takes place on Halloween. Mm-hmm. And then it's not really, you know. Yeah. But I will, I mean, like no one else celebrates Halloween like we celebrate Halloween. But I love Halloween, so I'm glad. <laughs> it's the best holiday we get around. To celebrate it. I know it's so much it's fun. The only one that really counts. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so the 16-year-old shared the Sandusky, Ohio home with his mother, Susan Lisk or Liskey. Uh, she's 46. His stepfather, William E. A.K.A. Bill mm-hmm. Lisk. Should I say Lisk or Liskey? It's L-I-S-K-E. It's, I think it, I've heard it as Lisk. Lisk. Yeah. Uh, 53. Have you heard the story? Well, I might have looked at it because I was like, Halloween story. Oh, no! But it's a good one. It's a very oh, no. good No, no. I didn't really dive deep into it. I just like like skimmed some bits. but It's kind of a real bummer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and his brother, Derek Griffin, who's 23. So he went up to his room and he started to play some video games. At about 1.30 in the afternoon, he was like, where is everybody? Like, no mm-hmm. one's around. His mom did, should have been Do you know, up. did he, he went to church by himself? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's just a little good, little good boy singing in his church choir or whatever. So, uh, he's like, my mom should be up and out of bed. It's like one thirty, And where's, like, my stepdad? Where's my brother? What the hell's happening? So, he goes downstairs to the master bedroom. And he found his mom in bed next to his stepfather. The maroon comforter was pulled up over their heads, and he started talking to wake her up. So he's just like, hey, Mom, what's going on? It's, like, kind of late. It's Halloween. Why aren't you up? And she didn't say anything or wake up, and then he walked around to her side of the bed, and then he saw her foot, like, out of the mm-hmm. blankets, how you do when you're, like, sleeping, mm-hmm. you know. It cools you off. It's very uh, – it's a good little life hack there. I mean, as long as you're not and afraid like, of the monsters pulling you under bed. <laughs> I mean, when I was little, I could never do it, and now I really enjoy it. (laughs) I needed to have, like, a heavy comforter on me in the middle of summer so the monsters didn't get me. It's very (laughs) conflicting and difficult. So he, like, taps her on the leg. He's like, Mom, like, wake the fuck up, and there's no response. 
So then he continues to talk to her, and then he, like, pulls the covers down a little, and that's when he saw Uh-oh. that her pillow was soaked with blood. Ooh, ooh. For a moment, he thought, this has got to be a Halloween prank. Yeah. Right? It's Halloween, like, got to be fake blood. But then he slowly realized that it wasn't. And then he, like, ran out of the room and out of the house crying. Oh, shit. He's like, yeah. That's terrifying. So Ottawa County authorities discovered the extent of the grisly crime scene. So Devin had run and called his aunt Lori Morse because uh, he was like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. I, I just saw, like, my mom dead with, like, blood everywhere. Fuck. So then Lori went over to the house to, like, you know, console him. And then she called 911. And their home was, like, on about 100 acres. So she, like, drove over right away and then called police wow. herself. So investigators found Bill and Susan shot to death in their bed. Mm. According to the coroner's records, Bill was shot five times in the head Holy and face shit. at a range of about one to two feet. Shit. He was lying in a natural sleeping position and had the covers pulled up over him. So he was most likely shot first mm-hmm. while he was sleeping. Susan was sprawled more awkwardly as if she might have been moved or like she had been awakened by the shots. Yeah. Fired and tried to flee. She was shot three times. Again, at what investigators suspected was close range. The bullets were small caliber, likely a twenty-two, and she had been sexually assaulted. Oh, shit. It was unclear if Susan was sexually assaulted before or after she had been shot. Uh-oh. I mean, either way is bad. But either way is bad, <laughs> and it could also be why her body looked like it had been moved after mm. death. Okay. So, ugh. Upstairs, they went to Derek's room, which was the brother, huh. and the door was locked. So they kicked the door in, oh. and they found him curled up in bed facing the wall. Okay. He had suffered blunt force trauma to the head and most likely died within a few minutes of the first blow. Oh, shit. They found a bloody claw hammer in the house, which coroners found to be consistent with Derek Griffin's wounds. Shit. So he must. They must have killed him first. And if it's blunt force trauma, so that he didn't wake up to like help it's anything. Quietly. Because right. Yeah, because the five shots to the one person that's gonna wake up the entire house. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Okay. Sorry. Go on. So the weapon and other evidence from around the home were sent to the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation and investigation. Oh, identification and investigation. Mm, I was like investigation and investigation. <laughs> For forensic twi- twisting. <laughs> forensic twisting. <laughs> Cute. You said tongue twister, and then I got the twist in my mind, I guess. I don't know. Uh, testing. So, Devin told investigators that the family owned a lot of guns, many of which authorities seized for testing. Mm-hmm. They found muddy footprints along a deck near the family's pond, suggesting the suspect may have disposed of the murder weapon in the pond. And then authorities drained the pond but found no gun. Hmm. Weapon-sniffing dogs tracked much of the property and found nothing. So I was going to ask you to profile the killer, but if you already know. Yeah, unfortunately. (laughs) Damn! That would have been more fun. You could have pretended. Okay. So. I could pretend I'm a genius and know who it is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, pretend that you don't know who it is, but, like, also kind of give, like, a profile 
Well, like you said, the one must have been killed first. Yeah, because he knew that the first of all, you'd have to know it's someone close to the family because you'd have to know who's sleeping where. You would have to know right. that, like, probably the older brother is going to be the biggest threat because he's probably the biggest or, like, at least, you know, could defend or stand up against you. So eliminate him quietly. Mm-hmm. And then the five shots to the dad, that's really mm-hmm. personal. And so at such close right. range, you're, like, you are just angrily pulling the trigger. Right. So, yeah. So he may have been, like, the main... So someone who knows the family, probably. Yeah, someone who knows who was home that night, who was going to be mm-hmm. in what room, and, like, the layout of the house. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks for playing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they also found a bed made up on the living room sofa. So that was made up for William or Bill's son uh-huh. named William or BJ Lisk, uh-huh. who was 24 at the time. Uh, let's talk about BJ. <laughs> Do you know was was he like visiting from college or something or like because he said they had the couch the couch was made up for him. You're gonna get. To we that. will get okay. into it. Right. So the official police records on BJ started in early 2002 while he was 16. He was on house arrest. Mm-mm. That was the first time that Bill had to call for the police to come to their home. Uh-oh. BJ had been threatening to harm himself, and his father had no idea how to stop him, so then he called the police. According to the records, BJ attacked the officers when they arrived Uh-oh. and faced charges in juvenile court of assaulting a peace officer. Huh. By 2004, two years later, BJ had started escalating from threatening to harm himself to attacking other people. Uh-oh. In October that year, BJ got into a fight with his stepmother and struck her hard in the chest. Ooh. Okay, so he's Two, out of control. Yeah. Two months later, police charged him with felonious assault and robbery for allegedly hitting Susan with a coffee cup and stealing her car keys. Yikes. He was found incompetent to stand trial oh. on those charges, and they were eventually dropped. So he's being incompetent to stand trial, which is a very hard thing to prove at 18 years old. Yikes. That's not good. He's off to a rocky start. So trying to get him help, his family moved him to a group home in Sandusky where he would get the mental health treatment that he needed. Mm. While there at the group home, BJ had at least three encounters with police. (laughs) Among those incidents was a physical fight between BJ and his dad after Bill picked him up from the group home. Despite the fights, though, Bill never gave up on his son. And in February of 2006, he filed for guardianship over him. Uh, Oh, because he was of age. Because he's 20. So, Mr. Lisk wants to protect William and to get him the help that he needs, the guardianship application states. He would eventually like to see him in a halfway house or a group home. When William is on his medication, he does really good. After a while, he will stop taking it because he thinks he is okay, yep. starts drinking and smoking pot. And that's pretty so, common with... classic behavior. Anyone, yeah. If you're, te- if you're on medicine and you feel normal, it means it's working. <laughs> yeah, please stay on it if it's working, if it's working for, you. for you. yeah. <laughs> so after BJ moved into the halfway house in Sandusky, Bill visited often. He... Kicked his son out of his own home 
after BJ attempted to attack Susan as she showered. Uh, the oh, attack geez. landed him a stay in the hospital in 2007 where he received treatment for a schizoaffective disorder bipolar type. And BJ moved into a halfway house at that point. So that's why he wasn't living with them. He was living at a halfway house. Okay. Because he kept attacking Susan he, and yeah, Bill. Yeah, I would be like, you're not invited over here anymore, buddy. Yeah, it's not safe. Nope. But then he like, but his dad like never gave up on him and kept trying to help him, which like stand up father. What sure. do you do in that situation if there's just something really, really wrong with your kid and they won't stay on their medication that helps and I don't know. they're like I mean, yeah, violent. I, I would assume you would still like take care of them and that like you make sure that they've got medical insurance and like that you know check in on them but i wouldn't allow them back in the home if it was if i had I other people if it was just me I maybe know. but if i have like a family to look after mm, sorry like i love you but you're dangerous so dangerous like he's so violent so bj had a strained relationship with his stepmother from the start mm -hmm. after his parents divorced he started skipping school and misbehaving when Bill and Susan married in 2001, Susan attempted to impose order in the house, and BJ resented the new rules. Mm -hmm. And was like, fuck this. You're not my mom. And he was like, I think he was like 15 at the time. Mm -hmm. And then he starts fighting her and shit. Okay. Investigators who interviewed family friend Mark Gradel wrote in a report that Bill often called Mark to help if BJ caused problems. Bill would say, hey, come over, it's BJ, or BJ's getting goofy. But on at least one occasion, Derek, call Derek called Mark because BJ and Bill were physically fighting. Mm. So Susan's son even has to call and be like, we need help because Bill can't call you because he's fighting with BJ. Shit. Also, BJ's getting goofy. Like, oh. Getting goofy. Way to minimize. <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> So the week before the murders, Graydell told investigators that Bill took some vacation time and went deer hunting with his son. They went to the family's hunting cabin in Carroll County and returned home to Ottawa County less than 24 hours before the murders. Graydell said that he had serious talks with Bill on a few occasions about the family's safety being jeopardized by BJ. Yeah. Even before, like, all this was happening, neighbors suspected BJ of killing and torturing their pets. Oh, great. The Graydell's dog was shot twice oh my with God. 22 caliber bullets, but Bill would tell Graydell, BJ won't hurt us. Uh -huh. Which is really sad. Yeah. Mark said it was a hard conversation to have because BJ was Bill's only son, and Bill would never see the bad, even though Bill had received physical injuries from BJ, an investigator wrote. Which is really tragic. Mm -hmm. After Bill and his son returned home from hunting that Saturday before Halloween. But it's also like, why are you taking your kid hunting with guns and shit? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not trying to victim blame here, but it's like, your kid has trouble with violence you have guns all around the house, and you take him yeah. shooting. It's not the best idea. It's not the best. After Bill and his son returned home from hunting that Saturday before Halloween, they got together for a few beers with friends. Mm -hmm. Graydell, who was at the gathering, told investigators everyone had a good time. He didn't see Derek, Susan's son, but that was not unusual because he and BJ didn't get along. Mm -hmm. So when BJ was around, I think Derek kind of stayed away. Mm-hmm. BJ rarely spent the night at the house because of the past violent fights between him mm -hmm. and the rest of the family. Yep. 
But Bill had been drinking that night with the friends and everything, and he didn't think it was a good idea to drive his son back to Sandusky. Oh, so no. the party broke up about midnight. Oh, no. So he's trying to be responsible. Yeah, that sucks. I know. They're, like, having a good time. They just came back from their, like, trip. He doesn't want to like drive drunk. Yeah. He's, like, bonding with his kid. Right. He doesn't ever think that BJ's going to do anything anyway. Yeah, he's like, yeah, it's fine. Just what's one night? He's just going to sleep over. I'll drive him back as soon as the morning comes. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. I know. Graydell's wife, Michelle, told investigators she heard what sounded like gunshots about 6.30 a.m. on Halloween, which was consistent with the time of death of Bill and Susan. According to phone records, Derek last spoke to someone at 2.02 p.m. on October 30th, and it was determined that Derek was killed first. You were right. Mm -hmm. Devin had spent the weekend with his dad, returning to the house briefly at 9.30 to change his shirt before church, and he stayed for about five minutes that Halloween morning. Mm -hmm. He told investigators he encountered only BJ when he came home the first time that morning. And BJ was uncharacteristically, oh, he uncharacteristically asked him what he was doing and how long he'd be gone. Hmm. Devin said he couldn't think of anything else, but said that BJ was acting happier. To explain, Devin stated that normally BJ is gloomy. Mm -hmm. An investigator wrote, I asked Devin what made him think that BJ was acting happier Devin stated it was because he was happier, more upbeat, and more talkative. Hmm. Devin stated that BJ is normally slow and darkish. Mm. After Devin left the house for church, BJ took the family's Ford F-150 and drove it to the hunting cabin in Carroll County, where he and his father had been, Mm -hmm. like, not that long ago. He was there for less than an hour when Carroll County Sheriff's deputies descended upon the camp and took him into custody. Mm. When I don't know why they, they included this, but everyone included this. When detectives from Ottawa County Sheriff's Office went to the Carroll County cabin to look for evidence, they found an uneaten Subway sandwich <laughs> on the counter that BJ had apparently stopped at a Subway and they found him on tape at a subway restaurant near the camp and purchased the sandwich, which he had no time to eat. Well, I guess that that kind of just sets a timeline of, like, how long he was at the cabin. He was only there long enough to, like, put the sandwich down. To buy a sandwich and not eat it. He bought it, and then he, like, went to the cabin, set it down, and then, yeah, not even a bite. Didn't have time. Because, I mean... I mean, they didn't even say what kind it was, though, so it's like... Well... They didn't know it was uneaten. It was still in the wrapper. Was it a warm sandwich, though? Because that takes more time. And they're just like stacking ingredients. That's true. This, this, they got to put it in that microwave toast it? thing. Did they not yeah. toast it or not toast it? Was it a meatball sub where oh. they got to heat the meatballs up? Or was it just like a pastrami where. Mm, I want a sandwich now. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, BJ was charged in Ottawa County Common Pleas Court with counts of aggravated murder in each of the deaths. In case you didn't catch on, he did it. Ah, yes. During the trial, he spoke emotionlessly. Mm -hmm. I loved my dad very much, and it makes me feel sick every time I think about what I did. I can't really explain why this all happened, uh, why this all had to happen, but I think most of all, it had to do with my mental illness, Mm -hmm. which is super sad. Yeah, it's like sad, but then also, 
it's like putting the blame on something else. Right. But also, it, it uh, mental illness is a thing that can be blamed. Right. So it's like, ugh, I don't know. But then part of it's kind of like, if you have a mental illness and you know that alcohol doesn't help, maybe yeah. don't drink well, it is when your respons- you're all hanging it, out. It is your responsibility to take care of your en- mental illness. Right. So properly. take your medication that's and if you're, working. Well, and if, you know, if you're someone that can afford or has, like him, has his parents, you know, paying for it. Like, then you don't have an excuse to not <laughs> take care of your mental right, illness. Right, they're completely supporting you. Yeah. 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 Oh, no. So, okay. BJ entered guilty pleas for three counts of aggravated murder and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Judge Winter said before imposing the sentence, The court is not in a position to make this whole. It is not in a position to bring back loved ones. The court can only hope to do justice. Mm. Prosecutors and defense attorneys had agreed to recommend that BJ spend the rest of his life in prison Mm -hmm. in exchange for guilty pleas to three of the six counts of aggravated murder he had faced. The court dismissed specifications that could have resulted in sentencing him to death. Hmm. So they made him a deal where he would just go to prison for life. Yeah. Which, it just seems like he's, like, super unstable and kind of violent. Yeah. He'll a little dangerous. Sounds, yep. As long as he doesn't get out. Ottawa County Prosecutor Mark Mulligan said afterward, more than enough physical evidence existed to convict BJ and justify imposition of the death penalty, but he suspects that because of BJ's young age and relatively long history of mental illness, his case would have been tied up in appeals for years to come. And also, like, like why put him to death when you can just lock him up? I mean, don't even yeah. get me started about the death penalty, but... Uh... Right. <laughs> right, right. But, yeah, he's someone that needs to not come out... <laughs> Yeah, someone who needs to be saved, saved from himself. And others. That we need all need to be saved from. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, eh. So Mr. Mulligan said, it seems to me the best resolution of the case. I think justice was done. So I agree. <laughs> Defense attorney Adrian Zimmerman Kimmerman said... <laughs> BJ was declared legally sane, but was clearly mentally ill. So that's the other thing. It's like we have these like designations for like court cases and stuff. But if someone is like clearly has a mental illness or is like very much struggling with a mental illness Mm -hmm. and you're declared sane, it's like, Mm. (laughs) yeah, but sane, but also with a mental illness. It's yeah, that you can. Yeah. Like you're sane, you can make decisions. You're not. I don't know. Like, you're on this planet. You can, you know, you, like your mind is here. You're all here, but you just are struggling with a certain mental illness. But then some people, they're not here. Right. Like, I think the guy that I talked about, I don't think that he was completely here. I don't either. So, would he be like sane, but with a mental illness? Or he's just like out of his goddamn mind? I think he's out of his Who gourd. fucking knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know where he's living, but fuck. 
So he said it's unknown whether BJ was taking the medication that was prescribed for his schizoaffective disorder on the night of the murders, although he had been drinking alcohol. So that's another thing. Like, mm-hmm. if he was on his medication, who knows what that combination could right. have done, too. Right. That could have been, like, not a good idea. So clearly he, had not, he should not have been provided alcohol Simmerman but I said. think that the bottom line is he's an adult and he had his um his condition under control like it was a control you know there was a way to control it and he had the means to control it and he knew what he should and shouldn't do to control right. it so I think like yeah he can't can't claim that he didn't know that his I mean he's a violent person anyway he knows what his triggers are he knows what what it helps and what doesn't I mean right that's why I think it's well, so different yeah. than someone that isn't diagnosed or, like, doesn't have the help to the mental, you know, to, like, a doctor or a therapist or, like, the drugs that they need. I think, yeah, it, it's a different story. <laughs> right. Well, and that's what the Simmerman said, that some that the alcohol was something, like that was constant problem. It's like yeah. not new yeah. that he knew that alcohol exactly. and mental illness don't combine well. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so in a statement read in court by the victim's advocate, Carolyn Renwand, Susan's sister, Lori said her family just wanted to know why I will never get the events of that day out of my head. She said, our family has suffered an indescribable loss. BJ tore our hearts out and destroyed our family's happiness as we knew it. Mm. We feel such crippling grief. We will never hear Susan's laughter or see Derek smile again or feel a bear hug from Bill. Wow. Lisa Curl, Bill's sister, told the court that her family's lives had been changed forever. We just don't understand how something like this could happen. You see stuff like this on TV and think it will never happen to your family. You love someone so much and then they take something away from you. My only brother, my sister-in-law, Derek. I just don't know how you could do it when he loved you so much, she said to her nephew. was so sad. I know because he never gave up on him. It wasn't like a mean, right. you know, I mean, he like literally a. Just spent a weekend with him or whatever. He and, took time off work yeah. to yeah take him. And he had somewhere. other kids and he had another you know he had a wife and stuff and he spent chose to spend the time with him because he knew he needed with help. his only son. Yeah. yeah. Bj read a, read a statement he had prepared. Uh, he apologized for those he had hurt made references to satan working for the destruction (laughs) of our souls and he said he prays daily for anyone involved oh good that's helpful well when you make references to satan i feel like then you're kind of like are you sane (laughs) that's what i'm saying like but also or are you just trying to put the blame on something else yeah i don't know there won't be a day that goes by that I won't feel horrible for what I've done. It's all my fault, and I don't blame anyone but myself, BJ said. Well, good, because you're intended, the only one that did it. <laughs> I never intended for this to happen. It wasn't because of Sue or Derek or even my father. I believe it was an internal struggle with my mental illness. Mm-hmm. That's tricky. I don't know. Mr. Mulligan said afterward that he was impressed that BJ took as much responsibility as he did. 
I think that means a lot to the family, he said. I'm sure it didn't answer their questions about why, because how can there ever be a logical answer as to why this happened? But I think it went a long way to give them something of an explanation. Asked afterward if she was satisfied with the outcome of the case, Miss Curl simply said, I'm just glad it's over. Mm. Also, something else, like the next day or that day, I think, I didn't write this down and I should have, but I didn't. I think one of uh, Bill's other sisters died in like a garage fire. What? She was living in like Washington or Oregon and her, they don't know if it was like arson or if she was like murdered or what happened but she like died in a garage fire i think she'd like just heard that her brother had been found and then she like died oh or something God. crazy so tragic for wow, this family yeah it's horrible so on march 31st 2015 bj lisk 29 years old was found dead in his cell mm. at ross correctional institution in chillicothe from a self-inflicted injury he was serving three life sentences with no chance of parole. Oh, well, that's suicide. It's not, so not surprising. The tragic story. Shit. <laughs> Quick and tragic. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, being like, oh, I'm going to go to church in the morning and sing in my choir and then have, like, Halloween or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're, like, going about your business and you're going and you're singing to your God and doing your thing. Coming mm-hmm. home, like, wow, it's a beautiful day. Huh, where is everyone? Oh, well, let's just play some video games. Mm-hmm. Where is everyone? Oh, my God. And then, like, mm-hmm. literally... You're never going to get that image out of your head. Nope. Of seeing your mom lying there. Ever. Yeah. And you lost your brother. You lost your mother and your brother. You lost your entire your family father. in one day. Yeah. All because of your stepbrother. Well, like, like who <laughs> you already don't like and don't get along with. Yeah, you already don't trust. Ugh. Horrible. It's terrible. Just horrible. Fuck. Yeah, that was... Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween! <laughs> the tossed salad and the scrambled egg. A tossed salad a scrambled egg. So I don't um, know if BJ was... What do you think BJ was? I was just wondering i mean he definitely had some scrambled egg in there he definitely had some like he like maybe like impulse control issues or i don't know what but if he's like physically fighting with people including his father and his stepmother but then like he sexually assaults his stepmother it's like what the fuck man yeah i don't necessarily believe him his whole like i don't know it was just like a mental illness freak out like i think like Yes, he has a men- or had a mental illness, and he maliciously killed his entire family, basically. Yeah, but, like, what set him off? You know, he had, like, a good week with his dad, and then they were, like, hanging out and had, like... The dude was like, yeah, we all had a good time, like, hanging out. Who knows? Anything could have set him off. It seemed like he was very volatile anyway. He could have been, like, yeah. I don't know... His dad could have been like, all right, I'm going to drive you back in the morning. And he could have been like, well, I want to stay or I want, you know, like, or I don't want to stay here. And Well, it's just weird that, like, everyone was sleeping. I don't know. It's just, like, weird. That's what makes it feel like, even more Like, it doesn't seem plotted. like something set him off. Right. It doesn't seem like something set him off because it's, like, everyone went to bed and had enough time to, like, fall asleep. Well, it seemed like he didn't like his stepmother anyway. 
the the no, brother was that. just a threat because like he could probably take him or whatever so get rid of that guy and i don't know he i don't know what he thought maybe he thought he could like inherit a bunch of money i don't know I don't, yeah, I just don't know. Or did alcohol really, like, fuck him up that much that, like, he wasn't even, like, I just, yeah, I don't know why. It was, like, so violent, too. Mm-hmm. Well, that's terrible. Yeah, it was, it's a real bummer. <laughs> God damn it, you know. Real bummer. Well. Well. Speaking of. Real bummers. Bummers. <laughs> if you want to have a not bummer of a Halloween, because what's Halloween going to even be like this year? You know? Yeah. Kind of depressing. Yeah, trick or treat in my own but house. I'm going to ask my dog and cat for s- treats, and they're going to get upset that I'm not giving them any. Listen, if you want to spice your Halloween up, treat yourself to like a spa day Ooh, at home. No tricks, all treats. Check out. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Check out Humblebee Herbal. Get some Halloween-themed soap or get some, like, other soap or lotion or other, like, good products. And don't forget to use Crimeany20 at checkout to get 20% off your first order. And now for the portion that we like to call Crimeany6, where we tell you silly stories about crime that make you forget the terrible things we just told you. You ready for some uh, some crimey sakes? Okay, yeah. I have one from Comedy Central. It okay. says, "The Learning Center on Hanson Street reports a man across the way stands at his window for hours watching the Learning <laughs> Center, making parents nervous. Police investigated and were able to identify the creepy man as a cardboard cutout of Arnold Schwarzenegger." <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> yes that's amazing mm-hmm. okay in 2012 robert wheeler allegedly punched the pizza delivery guy because he forgot the garlic knots <gasps> rude never that's forget it. the knots <laughs> okay i got this from insidehook.com mm-hmm. Cannabis is legal in several states for recreational consumption and in several more for medical use. Mm -hmm. Nebraska is a little behind the rest of the nation regarding the green stuff, and that was unfortunate for an elderly Vermont couple Uh stopped in December as they drove across the state. Patrick Giron, aged 80, and his 83-year-old wife said they're bearing gifts... Those gifts weren't Legos, iPads, or ugly-ass sweaters, but 60 pounds of oh weed. Oh, my God. That's a lot of weed. <laughs> they were charged with a felony possession with intent to deliver. <gasps> did, did they? They were just they trying to give prison? gifts for Christmas. I don't know. It doesn't say. These poor people. I think so. They probably spent Christmas. They're just trying to bring nice gifts, and now they spent it in Nebraska jail. I mean, let's be honest. There's not much going on in Nebraska. I drove through there. It was like two days of a, the straightest road I've ever driven down, and cornfields and Jesus signs. So you know, I'm not surprised that they're trying to arrest anyone, <laughs> any kind of activity. Well, yeah, like I said, when we were driving through, I think it was Nevada on 80, where everyone's driving 80 on 80, mm-hmm. they had like that checkpoint. 
point mm. where they were like literally stopping cars to ask like where are you coming from where are you going have you been drinking anything and i was like so tired at that point because it was like the middle of the night and we had been driving for like 12 hours i was like he's gonna think i'm high or something just and i was don't just like i can't even remember where we're coming them. from i was like oh colorado i don't know <laughs> that was fine he was like all right but fucking weird. That's so dangerous to make you stop in the middle of a fucking highway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. They're just... Okay, I have one more. Since December 2016, someone has been systematically grabbing the kitties of Waynesboro, Virginia, and, as the AP reported, quote, precisely shaving their underbellies or legs. <gasps> the serial shaver no. targeted clean cats with collars... Well-groomed feline companions who are no doubt unaccustomed to such attention. This crime is unsolved. <laughs> and it's also more serious than it seems. Cruelty to animals, even if the initially, if it initially seems nonviolent, can be a precursor to violence in humans. Yes, but, we, you know, I Who's think we'll... Who's shaving I, I kitty tummies? I think we'll know come winter when someone has a fabulous new sweater that's very soft. <laughs> Okay, I can't even imagine, like, clipping Toby's toenails is a battle. Pilling him is, like, the worst. I cannot imagine coming near him with clippers. (laughs) He would flip the fuck out. I would get so scratched up. Yeah. hmm. How are you going to shave their bellies? Hmm. That's a trusting-ass cat. Uh, All of them. Like, what? Yikes. Uh Okay, one more. (laughs) In October, UK-based Fun Toys posted a detailed Facebook status describing the theft of nearly 60,000 US dollars in sex toys. Oh shit. The company was attending the Venus Exposition in Berlin and displaying its wares. Mm-hmm. Fun Toys termed this the largest recorded theft of sex toys in history. Wow. Although who's keeping track? Wow. Well, the company attached photos of the devastation <laughs> and a police report as proof. I mean, that sucks for that business. Sixty thousand dollars. Do you think they're just like reselling it, or do you think that they're just like all enjoying their wares? I feel like that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of sex toys. Well, maybe. I mean, what if they're like electronic or something? Sixty thousand dollars. <laughs> That's a lot. It just really How depen- expensive is an electronic look, it one? It just depends. Look, look. I am not a professional, but... Okay, wait. Know. Let me say this. Let me say this. If each toy was $1,000, yeah. they would have 60 of them, yeah. which seems like a lot. Well... And how many How many of those are $1,000? Okay, what if they're those, like, real doll things, and then Ew, they could just uh, have them around their pool... Like, instead of mannequins, <laughs> they could actually have, like, more humanistic-looking people to Ew, hang out with. that's even worse. So what if they're just having a pool party with 60 people? How much do you think those run you? Oh, God. Probably more than $1,000, I would assume. Oh. <laughs> just, like, hang out with other people. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we can't right now. Look, if you had, like, over $1,000, you could buy a bunch of drinks for people, and then they'd become your friends. It's like, but then one might murder you in your sleep, so maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> so maybe you should just buy more dolls? Buy more dolls. All I'm saying <laughs> is you shouldn't be going out and about right now because of the virus, 
and it gets lonely. That's true. <laughs> That's true. That is 100% true. I agree with that. So... And mannequins can't break your heart. <laughs> <laughs> that it, truer words were never spoken. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. We kind of got off <laughs> tangent there for a second. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another horrible episode. And uh, check out Humble Be Herbal. Yes. And Crimeny 20 for 20% off. Also, if you live in the United States, please vote. And yes, vote. Let's end this insanity and uh, rate, review, subscribe, please. Yeah, um, email us at crimedypodcast at gmail.com and we'll talk at you next week. Goodbye. Bye.